Good morning, everyone. Welcome in the name of Jesus Christ. Good to see you. Uh, before we go into our worship service, I'd like to announce a couple of things that you can find on the back of the bulletin. And the first is that this afternoon, um, if you're able to and would like to, to join us, there is a fall festival at the fair cabin, and the gates will open at 2, dinner is going to be at 5, and then we'll have a Vesper service, which just means a, a short, uh, simple worship service together at 6 p.m. And I'm going, going to invite John to stand up and give us a few more details about parking and other things. That sounds great. Thank you, John. Um, a couple other things. 
if you are, uh, would like to be more part of some of the fellowship events going on at our church, there is uh, coming up next week in place of Life Night, uh, we're actually going to be meeting at the Chapman's home for a uh, mini fall festival and trunk or treat type night. And there will be e- details about that emailed out tomorrow for you. The rest of the events going on, whether it's uh, women's ministries, joy group, uh, cherub choir, please look at the back of the bulletin and read those for your information uh, moving forward. Um, As Christ welcomes us to worship, let's take a few moments to um, put our minds and hearts at rest and trust God that he will work in us and through us during this worship service. So let's take a few moments to do that now. Good morning. Our call to worship this morning is Psalms 111. If you please stand as I read this. Praise ye the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. The works of the Lord are great, sought out of all them who have pleasure therein. His work is honorable and glorious, and his righteousness endureth forever. He hath made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. He hath given food unto those who fear him. He will ever be mindful of his covenant. He hath shown his people the power of his works, that he may give them the heritage of the nations. The works of his hands are verity and justice. All his commandments are pure. They shall stand fast forever and ever and are done in the truth and uprightness. He sent redemption unto his people. He hath commanded his covenant forever, holy and revered in his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
and good understanding have all they, have all they that do his commandments. His praise endureth forever. If you'll please uh, take your hymnals to number five and sing along. God, my, my king, thy might confessing. please bow your heads. We thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for meeting each of us on this field of life, for establishing principles by which we are to live, to give us structure and reassurance. As we face the desire to follow our own lead, to satisfy our own inclinations, may we choose instead to prevail upon you. May our hearts deepen in appreciation for the blessings you provide for the path you have set before us, for the hope we carry, and for the promise of your coming once again. We face a collection of opportunities to sin each day. The crafty creature that harasses each of us strikes, leaving wounds that bleed, fears that fester, fatigue that seemingly has the poise of a lion taking interest in us when we are consumed with life, drained by a busy work schedule, inundated by family issues, and wearing the concerns of others as our own. But we put our trust in you. Remind us of your presence, that our foundations are considerable, 
Thank you for equipping us with character to take the next step, to forgive our neighbor, and walk with gratitude, knowing you are above us, beside us, and leading. As we face life, may our faith and our hearts remain joyful. And in the words of our Savior, we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and glory forever. Amen. <clears throat> if you will turn to your bulletins, the confession of faith, I will read the question, and if you will read the response, which is in bold. Why is there added, who art in heaven? What is the first petition? We have an opportunity to pray um, both individually and together as a body. And as we approach the end of the Heidelberg Catechism, we come to this portion where we learn about the Lord's Prayer. Each of these questions focuses on one or two lines that we have prayed so often in this church. And this first part is uh, the one I'd like to focus on together as we pray. So you can... Use your bulletin and use the confession maybe as an encouragement, as a guide to some time in silent and personal prayer to simply hallow God's name, to praise God for who he is, and to ask that God would be glorified in your life, in the life of this church, uh, in our town, that more and more would come to know the God we worship this morning. So let's take a few moments to pray silently and individually, and then I'll lead us in a corporate prayer. Let's pray together. God, we pray together, hallowed be thy name, Father, Son, and Spirit. As the psalmist says, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. 
Blessed are the people who know the festal shout, who walk, Lord, in the light of your face, who exalt in your name all the day and in your righteousness are exalted. For you are the glory of our strength, and by your favor we are blessed. For our shield belongs to the Lord, our King, to the Holy One of Israel. Father, we seek to honor you today, that in all we say and do, we make known your name to the world around us. As our neighbors and family and friends and coworkers watch us go about our days, would you cause us to live and work in such ways that it all leads to people glorifying you? Would you help us to love one another and in that love magnify your name? For you have loved us and you teach us how to love. You are the glory of our strength. And our strength is from you. Our gifts, our very life, is a gift from you. Father, we bring the many needs of our church body before you. We trust you that you will hear us and respond, and that you love to answer and hear the prayers of your people. God, we are encouraged uh, by uh, Robert Higginbotham's latest report, and we pray that they, Robert and Carol, will be further encouraged moving forward that uh, an upcoming meeting with the doctor would be helpful and give them uh, further joy and hope as they move forward. Father, would you be glorified in healing Ed Waldron and bringing him a fast, even miraculous recovery? Lord Jesus, would you be lifted up and worshiped by the fellowship that you give us later today at the fall festival. Lord, as we gather around and eat together and fish and enjoy your creation, Lord, guide our hearts back to you in all those things. Holy Spirit, would you find this church a senior pastor that will seek your honor and preach your gospel above all else? We love you, Lord. You are our strength when we are weak. A faintly burning wick you will not quench, a bruised reed you will not break. We bless your name this morning, God, and we pray all of this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. darkness Jesus found me touched my eyes and made me see brooks and chains that long had bound me gave me life and liberty oh glorious love of Christ my Lord Yes. 
Glorious love.
Please pray with me. God, would you use these tithes and offerings to hallow your name, to make your name great in our church, in our families, and across the world as you build your kingdom, as you bring in those who may not have known you or trusted you and are now walking in your ways. Lord, help us to be people who lead others to you by our love, by our words, by our actions, uh, by our obedience. Lord, be glorified and magnified. And we pray, Lord, that you would be with those who are sick today, um, my family included, uh, Rachel, and many other people who are um, coming down with a cold, Lord. We also pray that you would restore them and be with them as they get through uh, the sickness that this fall time usually brings. God, be, uh, we thank you for this time to give and pray that this would be honoring to you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you would stay standing, we'll continue worshiping together with hymn number 389, which is, This is the day the Lord has made. Let's continue worshiping together. You may be seated. I invite you to turn to Mark chapter 2, where we'll be starting at verse 23. It's been a couple of weeks since we have uh, opened up the gospel of Mark, but we began this series... uh, I guess a couple months ago, or a month or so ago. The last time we opened up Mark, we witnessed Jesus feasting with sinners, calling the much-hated tax collectors to follow him, and he demonstrated his love to them first with no strings attached, eating with them and feasting with them. And we saw how the love of Jesus led to 
faith, repentance, and trust, and not the other way around. And we'll see again in this passage today how the gospel, again, is not obedience and law-following and then love, but it is God's love first which leads us into obedience. So if you would, read with me in Mark chapter 2, starting at verse 23. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him? And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent, and he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me for a moment as I pray. God, would you open up our ears and our hearts to receive your word this morning? Would you cause us to worship as we hear the gospel once again? Help us, Lord. Help me, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want to focus on the two instances in our passage where Pharisees are trying to catch Jesus doing something unlawful or illegal. And the first instance is where Jesus' disciples are plucking heads of grain. And the second is Jesus healing a man's withered hand. And I want to see and show how Jesus is giving us an understanding of God's moral law, what we would traditionally call the Ten Commandments. We also call God's moral law. And Jesus is helping us, he's helping the Pharisees, see how God is working through his law, not as a means of policing us, but as a means of loving us. And how, uh, and we'll get into that more. And the main point I want to make and I think Jesus makes, is that the moral law, God's moral law, whether it be the Sabbath or otherwise, it leads us into rest and restoration. God's moral law leads us to rest and restoration, not 
burdens that we're not able to bear. So the heart of God revealed to us in his law is one of love, not as a policeman. Christianity isn't a religion of do's and don'ts. It's a person. And many of us can see how we might be more like the Pharisees than anyone else in the New Testament. We want to do what's required to be right with God. We want to know all the parameters so that we know we're okay before God. We want to know that we've done enough. We want to essentially save ourselves or be our own judge. We don't want someone else to judge us. The righteousness of the Pharisees and their law following leads to, is empty, and it leads away from God. And thankfully, Jesus replaces the empty law with himself. So first, I want to look at this first story. The Pharisees witnessing Jesus' disciples plucking heads of grain. Sounds simple enough. Why would they be mad about this? Well, it's breaking a law that the Jews believed. Uh, The Pharisees taught that the Sabbath was important and that they had all of these regulations to follow so that you would honor the Sabbath. And one of these was reaping, reaping. And so as they saw the disciples pluck heads of grain, they decided that they were reaping. They were working on the Sabbath, which was unlawful. Jesus tells them the story of David when he was in need. He ate the bread of the priests. David broke the law in the Pharisees' eyes, but not in Jesus' eyes. For he says the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. And we see in Jesus' example, he's trying to explain that the need of David and his men would never be secondary to God. God cares for our needs. David understood that the Sabbath heart of God, that the heart of God cared for them. That if they were in need, God didn't want them to starve and go hungry. And so they ate freely. So when it comes to God's moral law, when it comes to the Ten Commandments, we must start with the heart of God. God, Jesus says in our passage, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. The Pharisees believed The Sabbath rules and regulations were of first priority rather than the Sabbath serving humanity. Humanity served the laws and regulations of the Sabbath. So the Pharisees were applying this law and all these regulations in a way that was a massive burden to those who strove to know God and follow him rather than it being a blessing. And then Jesus makes that statement, which I've read a couple of times, that he's Lord of the Sabbath, which is a massive statement. We know that God instituted the Sabbath at the beginning of creation. When the universe was created, God instituted the Sabbath. Jesus is saying, I am Lord of the Sabbath. I am God, is what Jesus is saying. And we can ask the question, why did God rest on the seventh day? Was God tired Was he so tired from creating the universe that he just needed to sit down and rest? No. He rested on the seventh day, not because he was tired, but because he was satisfied with his work. If you remember and you read Genesis, 
after he finishes his work, he steps away. He says, essentially, my work is done. What I've done is very good. And he is satisfied in his work. He then invites mankind, his creation, into his satisfaction. He invites mankind into his rest. The Sabbath is a gift to humanity. It's a day of rest in a world full of work and self-effort. It's not a burden to bear, but it's to free men of their burdens. So for Pharisees and many Jews, the Sabbath became a set of laws to be obeyed. And now Jesus is teaching the Pharisees the difference between their religious laws and the gospel, between Christianity and religion, you could say. Every religion, except for Christianity, is about pleasing and doing what a lower G God requires so that you will be accepted and that you would be called worthy or righteous. If I am good, then I am accepted. That is religion. If I go to church, if I go to morning and evening worship, if I go to church on Wednesdays, then I am accepted by God. That's religion. Christianity says that we are fully loved and fully known and accepted and made righteous in Christ, and that leads to faith and obedience and repentance. We are loved first and accepted and righteous in Christ, and then we obey. The Pharisees set up a system in which they could feel righteous. They could feel better about themselves than all the people around them for all the religious laws that they were following. They had great power in that. The moral law for the Pharisees meant if they followed everything according to what they saw was the law, then they were good with God. For instance, they had regulations for the Sabbath where you couldn't walk more than a thousand steps. Obviously, you weren't allowed to work on the Sabbath. You were supposed to worship in the synagogue. All of these different regulations and rules meant that if you followed them, you were good with God. You, you were righteous, in a sense. And many people, I think, leave Christianity because it looks more like the Pharisees' religion than it does anything else. People follow the law outwardly, but on the inside, they're hypocrites, myself among them. Many people want to say that it's either this or that Jesus gets rid of the law. So it's either legalism or, as some would say, antinomianism, which is no law whatsoever, just complete freedom. But Jesus doesn't get rid of the law. He doesn't add to it either. He fulfills it. He upholds it. He fulfills it in that he lives a perfect life for sinners, for you and me. He loves God perfectly in his actions and thoughts and feelings, and he does it not just for himself, but for others. Ironically, in the next instance of our passage where the Pharisees and Herodians are plotting together to kill Jesus on the Sabbath, uh, well, it's ironic because they're calling out Jesus for doing something wrong on the Sabbath and then plotting to kill him on the same day. And you can see just the comedy of that, as, as dark as it is. 
In verse 4, if you read with me, you can follow along. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. This man risks, again, this social damnation of the Pharisees by trusting Jesus, by trusting that Jesus would heal him and trusting the outcome to Jesus after that. Jesus is grieved at their hardness of heart. He's angry that they've replaced love and doing good and saving life with self-centered law following. And now you might be able to begin to see the difference in how Jesus views the law and how the Pharisees view the law. In religion, in the Pharisees' world, the law assures us we're okay with God. And in the gospel, the law of God shows us how to love God and love others. In religion, obeying the law makes you feel better than everybody else. In the gospel, you're humbled by the law because it reveals your shortcomings. It reveals your sin, and that draws you closer to Jesus. Pharisees want to know the exact boundaries of a law so they can feel like they're doing it. Many of us will fall into this trap on a day-to-day basis when we're not meeting our own standards for faithfulness to God, whether it's reading a devotional every morning, whether it's going to church, whether it's praying on certain days or certain times. If we fall short of those standards, we begin to think that God might not love us as much as we thought he did. But thanks be to God, as one pastor said, Jesus is here to end religion and replace it with himself. The reaction of the Pharisees to Jesus' teaching here is to team up with a group of people that they had nothing in common with and in fact probably hated. The one thing they had in common was hatred of Jesus. They team up with the Herodians. These were people who supported Herod, which was the Roman Gentile government, which I mentioned a few weeks ago, and it's fine that you have probably forgotten that, but the Roman Gentile government was not looked well upon by even the Jews. And so the fact that the Pharisees are teaming up with this group of people is, is, a, is a bit mind-boggling. They hated Jesus so much that they would join forces with their mortal enemies to take him down. The Pharisees were sensing a loss of power, perhaps, They were missing the heart of God and his love for broken and sinful people. They were turning a blind eye to people in need. And we see, thankfully, through Jesus, that God cares for the hurting, that he cares about restoring what is broken. And that's why Jesus has come to earth. That's why we remember the gospel. So two things that were we've been talking about and I want to talk about just a little bit more and then we'll be done, which is these two things, the moral law and the Sabbath. So as Jesus says, he's the Lord of the Sabbath, but Jesus is ultimately talking about God's moral law in general. How do we understand the law? How do we live it out? What does it mean for us? 
first, I want to touch on the Sabbath, which is, I try to mention this when I can, but the Sabbath is a, it's a testimony. It's a testimony to our hearts. It's a testimony to the people around us and to our world of the good news of Jesus Christ. What I mean by that is this good news that Jesus came to earth, that he lived the life we couldn't live, that he died in our place for our sin and was raised to new life to give us eternal life. This is the good news, that God was satisfied in his son. And as Tim Keller pointed out, when Jesus on the cross said, it is finished, Jesus was satisfied in the work of salvation on our behalf. That work was very good. And the Sabbath is an opportunity to experience the satisfaction of God. It's an invitation to experience the rest of God. Salvation in Jesus is complete. There's nothing to add. Your obedience does not add to your salvation and to the love that God has for you. Jesus is satisfied. And when we turn to him in faith, he invites us into his Sabbath rest. Nothing can take away from the work of Christ on the cross for you and for me and for sinners in general. We don't need to prove ourselves to God or anyone else. That's why Christians can rest in the first place. It's the rest we're called to enjoy this side of heaven in part and one day in full. If you can Rest in the finished work of Christ. You can rest knowing that God is satisfied in you. God is satisfied in you. So what makes a Christian different is that we can rest because Jesus has made us right with God once and for all. He has taken the punishment of our sin on himself and God's wrath is satisfied in Jesus. This is why Jesus says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is the personification of the Sabbath. He is the Sabbath. He says in Matthew 11, Come to me, all who, are, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Out of this satisfaction that God has in Christ and is ours by faith, out of this satisfaction, out of this good news, we can begin to have conversations like, what should we do and not do on the Sabbath? How ought I obey God's moral law in a way that will lead me to worship? When our hearts are affected by the love of God, we are drawn more and more to his word. The law becomes a light, a lamp for our feet, a path for us to know God and to love others. Enjoying the Sabbath uh, takes effort and preparation. Uh, It's a day that's set apart from the rest which is why if we don't approach it differently, we'll, we'll be wondering why we don't have any rest, why we aren't experiencing and, and feeling and knowing that satisfaction that God has. If we stick to the same patterns as the rest of the week, whether it's 
turning on the same TV shows, whether it's continuing the work that we had the day before, whatever it might be that we are doing throughout the week, God calls us in some measure to stop and to rest in him. He invites us into his rest. So we can reframe the question of what should or should I not do on the Sabbath and say and ask ourselves, what will help me and my family enjoy the work of Jesus on my behalf? What will help me enjoy the presence of God, his creation, his people? What will help me sing praises to God from my heart? What will remind me of God's kindness to me, his joy, his love? This is what it means to set aside one day in seven and enjoy the Lord, to enjoy the rest that he has secured for us. So you can take a day away from paid and unpaid work which again will take effort to do, and many of us will not be able to do that for many different reasons. But God is reminding us that there is an opportunity to set aside a day for him to experience his satisfaction, to rest when our world is full of the opposite. You can take up activities that bring you closer to God and his creation, It might include reading scripture. It might include reading hymns and psalms. It may be eating good food, maybe going on a hike. It could be any number of things as they lead you to glorify and worship God. So you can use this passage from Mark as an opportunity to think again about the enjoyment and rest God is offering you in the Sabbath but not just the Sabbath, how he is teaching us about his law and how God's law leads us to life. God delights in you. He delights in you because he delights in his son, Jesus. And he wants to invite you into this satisfaction that he has. We were lost, but have been found. We were dead, but have been made alive. And in Jesus' eyes, this is very good. So you can taste the restoration of God in purposeful rest on the Sabbath. Jesus is on the throne. The world is kept secure in his hands. You can take an hour this week, perhaps, and think about how you might enjoy a Sabbath day this coming week. It will look different for all of us. But God's law inevitably leads to rest and restoration. The Sabbath is just a part of that. God is inviting you into his care, and he is asking you to trust him in that. His moral law guides us, it blesses us, it humbles us. And only in Jesus can you find life in God's law instead of being crushed by it. So would you come into the rest of Jesus, your Savior, experience the rest that he has secured for you by faith? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as you have shown us, given us these stories of your encounters with 
Pharisees, your encounters with people who are hurting and who are sick. Lord, you have instituted from the beginning of time the Sabbath, a day in which you have rest, rested satisfied in your work. God, as we approach your law, we want to approach it like a set of laws that we can obey and then not have anything to do with you. But God, you've given us your law. You've given us the Sabbath as a way to know you and be loved by you. So God, would you help us to not just understand how you have gifted us the Sabbath, but how you are blessing us through your law. Help us to be drawn closer to you rather than further away. God, you love us. You sent your son Jesus to show that. God, would you be glorified today in our Sabbath rest, in the Sabbath activities that we take part in, in the fellowship of your body, Lord, thank you for the gift of the Sabbath and for rest in a restless world. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand for our last hymn today as we respond to the grace of God, the rest of God, with hymn number 392, which is O Day of Rest and Gladness, and we'll sing verses 1 3 and 5 verses 1 3 and 5 let's sing together
Would you hear God's blessing as you go and respond in faith with your amen. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.